Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is co-founder and chief brand officer of Maison de Mode, Amanda Hurst. She has created an incredible opportunity and an elevated platform for sustainable brands to get the recognition they deserve. Through her initiatives, Maison de Mode customers have been given the opportunity to see how ethical fashion can also be luxurious through her thoughtfully curated collection. We dive into sustainability, some of the misnomers about it, and how she has navigated sustainable luxury during a pandemic. Take a listen. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I was excited when your team reached out because I think that, you know, within the fashion industry, sustainability has been a huge topic. It's something that's on my mind 24-7 as I'm still working to eliminate plastic from my factories. Um, And I love that you not only um, built a sustainable fashion marketplace, but you have such amazing knowledge and advice for sustainability. So I'd love to start with what what got you interested in this space? Yeah. um, So I started working in sustainable fashion around 2010, so a little over 10 years ago. Um, And I am not totally sure what drew me to it. I think I just, I was interested in fashion, but I I was really interested in the stories behind the fashion brands, um, behind the pieces, like how they were made, who made them, what inspired the designer. And so when I started working, um, my first job was at Marie Claire Magazine, I was really wanting to to talk about those stories. And those stories are very often having to do with sustainability or lack thereof. So I feel like today there's a lot of greenwashing that exists. Um, how have you managed to make sure that in your knowledge and advice and also in your site that you're picking and working with designers that have this as sort of their number one priority? I think it's really tricky, um, especially now that that consumers demand that brands are sustainable. You'll see on every website there's a sustainability section now, and it's really impossible for a consumer to to vet that. We just sort of have to accept it to be true. So personally, I've luckily worked in the industry. So I've met a lot of the designers. I've traveled to some of the countries where these products are made. Um, So I do feel like I've had a lot of firsthand experience. And there are certain brands that I'm 100% behind. Um, And I think that is kind of why Maison de Mode, my, my sustainable fashion company started, is because my partner and I, he also came from the fashion industry, we really wanted to to do the vetting so that people could shop safely, you know, and they could have a selection of of brands that that are sustainable and that are consciously made and responsibly sourced, and and so that is a bit of why we started Mizanda Mode. What were some of the early challenges in launching? Because I think when people here luxury, they think the big brands, which have, you know, billions of dollars at their disposal for marketing and PR and the flashy campaigns. And you're not only promoting luxury, but, you know, up and coming designers. And I'd love to hear how you sort of broke through that 
and if there were any challenges there. In starting and breaking through and like saying, okay, good, here we go, we're launching luxury. So it's a small, you know, it's a smaller piece of the pie and you you might be competing against, you know, larger luxury companies that have billions of dollars at their disposal to do this flashy, you know, fashion shows and campaigns and how did you sort of break through? Yeah, so um when I started Maison de Mode, again like in the like mid, I don't know, 2010-ish era, part of our goal was to highlight that sustainability is luxurious and beautiful and that there are very high-end brands that are working in the space. So we never really differentiated between a small company or a group of artisans in Ecuador, say, versus a huge H&M or something in the sense that if you're doing good work, you're doing good work. And if you're if you're not, you're not. So for us, it was really about encouraging the good work and highlighting that from brands and, and workers across the world. Um, and so we have actually worked with like bigger brands like Swarovski and Lacoste, um, and Chapard, but then of course also um, co-op cooperatives in in Central and South America. Um, it really runs the gamut, and I think that that's important for consumers to see as well and to have that diverse offering. Yeah, and so do you feel like you started? You were probably one of the earliest and first. Now more and more people are aware of that. Have you felt like that has helped make you? sort of the leader in this space? Or now, uh, you know, do you feel like, wow, everyone's coming into this space? That's so awesome. <laughs> how do I stand out? Like, what, what? how have you approached that? I think it's it's so awesome, actually. Um, because when, when I started writing about sustainability, there were not many brands taught in the space or, or even talking about it. Like, I remember um, wanting to write about some interesting initiatives that bigger luxury brands were doing and and the PR teams would get back to me and be like, yes, we're doing this. Yes, it's awesome. But like, we don't want you to write about it because it undermines our image of luxury and we don't want our consumers to know about it. So it was like a very weird kind of like, okay, so you don't really want to talk about all this like great work that you're doing. Um, you just want to present this perfect image. And and so it's just, it's really nice to see that 10 years later, first of all, there are tons of brands in the space and that every brand is willing and and wanting to talk about how they are responsible from being a company to, to being um, in the fashion industry. What were some of the unexpected challenges you encountered as you've been on this journey? I mean, <laughs> starting any company is challenging, and I would say like we work with brands around the world, so that's been somewhat challenging. Um, but at the same time, like I really love the ability to travel to these different countries and to meet with artisans and to learn about brands from a different uh, perspective. And so sometimes that can be challenging, especially during a pandemic, but I think that's also part of the reason why why I started Maison de Mode. So let's dive into the pandemic, luxury sales. <laughs> um, what did you do to sort of get through as a company? I mean, it was a 
it was a scary time for everyone. Um, and also just internally, not just ourselves, but also for our, our brands, because a lot of them are smaller. Um, and so COVID hit them a lot harder in certain ways. But at the same time, oddly, like sales increased, and I still don't totally understand why. <laughs> Maybe people were at home more. Um, but I, we did make it through, which um, which is obviously good because not everybody, not every company did. And I think for us, maybe the biggest challenge was then trying to support our our smaller brands who are not necessarily in developed countries or don't have the the resources that we might have. Um, so trying to keep them afloat during a very difficult time. What are some of the the challenges that they encountered? Was it supply chain or just like we experienced, you know, all of a sudden we had 300, you know, factory workers instead of 3,000. So what were some of the issues that these, you know, these people were experiencing in these in these other countries that then trickled down to you? I mean, it really ran the gamut. I would say supply chain issues were the biggest, um, but even like internal country conflict, like in El Salvador and Bolivia, like gang violence, um, government corruption that that sort of proliferated during an unstable time. And so that, of course, impacts the company and like, can they survive in a country that might not necessarily survive, you know? So it, it just becomes a lot bigger. And you do see the issues that these companies are facing and and how they're trying to be sustainable and support artisans and people in in the context of it's not just about covid and we started we learned a lot about that in regards to our brands the more we dove into it When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So what do you wish people would know about shopping more sustainably, how to find, you know, more, more sustainable resources? Because I feel like I talk a lot and again, I'm by no means perfect in, in my company, but you know, fast fashion is the biggest producer of waste. And so if people simply just stopped buying Zara Forever 21 H&M, that would probably get rid of 90% of the waste um, and invest in pieces and 
pieces that you will have forever or have a good resale value. So what else should people know about thinking more in this mindset? Yeah, I mean, I think shopping sustainably, it's so like ambiguous and there's so because the fashion industry affects pretty much every aspect of of life from people to the environment to animals. So personally, when people ask me about like, well, how do how do I even start? It's overwhelming. I usually tell them like, well, what makes you cry? Like, what is the issue out there that really, you know, pulls at your heartstrings? Think big, but start small. So you don't like burn your entire wardrobe, <laughs> but just start thinking in those terms. You know, the same with like, let's say you're really focused on the issue of plastics in the ocean. Okay, well, uh, 30% of plastics, like a third of those microplastics in the ocean come from clothing. Um, and you do a little research and there's tons of textiles like nylon and polyester that are made from plastic. So just try to shop less of those. You know, it's like sustainability can actually become very personal when you put it in personal terms. I think that helps focus it in a, in a big way because I think people can get overwhelmed with where to start, you know, um, and people are all over the spectrum on what they believe in, whether it is eating meat or not, or recycle, you know, like plastic or not. And so I think that that's a great advice. You mentioned your nonprofit. That is something you wanted to talk about. What is your nonprofit? Yeah. So um, about four years ago, I started a nonprofit called Wellbeings. And um, our focus is animal welfare, but in the context of climate change. So we basically take on animal welfare issues, but we also focus and work on them in a holistic way. So we're also talking about like the people, places, and environment that these animal issues impact. Um, so it's been a journey. It's also been really exciting because I really have started to see the connection between the fashion industry and, and, and the environment and animals. So it's just like how huge the industry is and how important it is for us to, to make it a little better. What do you want to see happen in the next five years, whether it's fashion industry? I mean, I know for me, it's, it's convincing factories and or department stores who blatantly said, you know, if you don't ship a plastic hanger, we'll charge you $4 per cardboard hanger that we have to switch out, which is like, cool, thanks. Um, <laughs> or even our factories who say, um, yeah, we'd love to make you compostable bags and everything, but then there's a surcharge there uh, because we make for everybody and it's one big assembly line. So how do you envision these big companies and corporations changing and what would you like to see happen? I think that with every fashion company there there are their own they have their own issues and challenges and and especially you you see that between like smaller brands versus bigger brands but personally the plastics issue is huge and you did just bring that up and I just I feel right now because I've been moving a lot, like it's so unavoidable, even if you really don't want to consume so much plastic in your life. Um, and I really think it's up to the industry from like, I guess, a supply chain or maybe even it's like inventing something that is as good as plastic, but 
doesn't last for 500 years, you know, but I just, that I think is just eating our planet and you see the plastic waste everywhere and we see it in the oceans and we see it in our food and in our children now. And it's just, yeah, I would love to see no more plastic. Same. It wears on me because in my own life, I'm so cautious. And then I'm like, cool, I'm so glad that we wrapped this garment in plastic for you. Enjoy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's just like you can't avoid it right now. Like you said, it's it's not a possibility, but but we're on our way, hopefully. That's good. Are there any other stories of either, you know, something something you did that impacted some of the artisans in a positive way that you could share or other challenges you faced as a company, you know? An interesting uh, trip, I guess, that I went on uh, right before the pandemic was um, I flew to Mexico City and I met with garment workers from the area who are primarily women. And the one thing I learned, one of the many things I learned was that the United States is a huge consumer of denim and that a lot of it is produced or finished in Mexico. And so I was meeting with these women and it was just shocking to hear how they were treated. Yes. You know, because that's a huge part of sustainable fashion too. It's like the labor and workers' rights and like how, how they are treated in that industry. And each woman had had really horrible stories about from from starting to work at the age of like eight, which is not legal, but it happens, especially when you need to support your family. Um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, getting pregnant young, and then, you know, has your husband leaves, so you have to work, even though you're, you're working and supporting a child. I mean, it's just like, that was really heartbreaking, because I buy a lot of denim, and I like wearing denim, but at the same time, like you you don't ever really want to be complicit in an industry where it's like, well, the bigger the demand for denim, the more these women have to work. And so that was just a bit eye-opening and and changed the way I saw jeans in general. So where do you buy your denim from now? <laughs> I just buy less denim because I'm like, this is – no, but I, and actually I think that Levi's was one of the bigger ones that had been sourcing from Mexico. Um, and since then, they've pulled out. But – and I think J Brand was the other one that was pretty bad. So again, it's about doing a little bit of research, but also like just shopping less. Like we don't need to own so much stuff. I agree. I came back to my closet after living away from it and I was like, what is all this? I still haven't got done my like purge, but I can't wait. I know. There's something liberating about getting rid of clothing that you don't wear or don't need and just having the items that that make you happy. Totally. And it's like 10% of your closet versus what you think is the other 90 you never even wear. You just save it for that one day that never comes. <laughs> exactly. Um, so where can people find out about you, support your nonprofit, and shop? Yeah. So um, for people that are interested in Maison de Mode, the website is maison-de-mode.com. And for Wellbeings, my nonprofit, um, it's wellbeingscharity.com. And um, yeah, I'm at Amanda Hurst on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you for this and thank you for the work you do. No, thanks for having me. This was, this was a pleasure. 
I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.